following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Well, good morning, First Baptist. It's good to see you today. It's good to be with you. Appreciate the fact that uh, you were not bothered by the rain this morning and you made your way here to First Baptist Church. And I'm delighted to uh, share with you in these few moments uh, uh, together. I appreciate the fact that uh, you are being led by your pastor to seek the Lord in revival. And I'll be praying for you this week and uh, into next week that the Lord uh, may indeed pour down his spirit upon you and uh, that you might earnestly seek him and that you might experience uh, something that by which we might refer to it and call it um, revival. Well, let me just give you 30 seconds of good news about Louisiana Baptist Convention. Louisiana Baptist Convention, your partner uh, with 1,600 or so other Southern Baptist churches across the state of Louisiana, are alive and well. Uh, you uh, are perhaps familiar with the old saying, uh, I think originally attributed to Mark Twain when he said, the reports or the rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Well, I want you to know that the reports, if you've heard any of the demise of the Louisiana Baptist Convention or the Southern Baptist Convention, those reports are greatly exaggerated. Uh, We are alive and well, and Pastor has indicated about the Disaster relief training upon us. I think one of the things that we are well known for is our work in disaster relief. Uh, We have been um, thankfully going to help others in more recent days than folks coming to help us. But we were able to help down in South Florida a great deal. Had uh, lots of volunteers headed headed down there. Uh, One of the other things that I'm really pleased to share with you about is uh, our work on college campuses all across the state of Louisiana. When I travel to different places of Louisiana and preach in churches like yours, um, it is obvious to me that we're all different. And that sometimes means that we don't all agree together. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, if, if somebody said, if, if all of us were alike, one of us would be unnecessary. So it, it's important that we're different. It's important that we have different um, ideas and thoughts. And, and, and sometimes that helps us to do more for the kingdom of God. But everywhere I go, there is a common denominator. And that is that Louisiana Baptist wants us to have a gospel presence, a Baptist presence even, on every state, college, university, and uh, campus across the state. And that is true this morning. That is true this morning. And some phenomenal things and reports uh, are happening throughout uh, our uh, college campuses. And so I'm excited to share that um, with you today. Well, I I just want to uh, walk you through a psalm today that I hope and pray will help us as we prepare for revival. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to draw your attention this morning to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I want to isolate and focus our attention to two verses, the final two verses of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, but there are different parts of the entire psalm that we will just mention. But this psalm culminates in this prayer of Psalm 139, verse 23 and verse 24. 
I'm reading from a translation of God's Word that is called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And according to that translation, but it'll look very similar to, uh, to this in yours, I'm confident. The Bible says, search me, God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns and see if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. There's no way to sugarcoat this, and that is we're in trouble. Our nation is in trouble. Culture is in trouble. That means on a smaller scale, our own cities are in trouble, our own communities are in trouble, our schools are in trouble, and yes, in a lot of circumstances, we could even say that our churches are in trouble and our families are in trouble. We are in desperate need for a mighty move of God all around us. There, there's no sugarcoating that in any kind of way. And I think especially during those awful days, and I hate to even refer to them because I want them to be distant, but, but if we don't learn from our history, we, we repeat it. But, but, so I, I think back to those days that I found myself in a relatively new job in, uh, in the days of COVID. I had just become the director for Louisiana Baptist Convention when COVID came upon us and everything shut down, churches stopped meeting and all of that kind of thing that we experience. And I found myself sitting in a, uh, a room that I had sort of designated, didn't really have one in my home, but kind of designated in those days as an office. And I, I found myself sitting there most of those days, kind of looking out the window saying, God, what are we going to do? God, what am I going to do? And it was as though I began sensing the Lord don't miss this opportunity for you. Because here's the deal. A lot of times, we're so focused on everybody else's problem, everybody else's flaw, everybody else's sin, we never see ours. Can you see what I'm holding in my hand? Some of you might not even know what this is if you don't wear contacts, but if you wear contacts, you'll you recognize this little case as a, as the case to store contacts in, put them in overnight, put some solution in, let them soak in overnight, and next thing, next morning you take them out and and uh, use wear contacts again. So during COVID, uh, I decided, you know, like the whole mask and the glasses were were not really working for me, and so I had a scheduled eye doctor appointment. I told the doctor that I, I wanted to try wearing contacts, and so thus began my journey of wearing um, contacts. And uh, so, you know, they gave me a set of contacts, gave me a case like this one, and gave me instructions of how to put them in, how to take them out, and all was going well for about the first week. I wasn't fooling with gla- glasses and the whole fog-up thing, and I was kind of enjoying uh, wearing, wearing contacts. And about a week into this, I, I went to take my contacts out that, that night, and I, I took my my right contact out and put it in its little case and, and uh, screwed the lid on and went to my left eye and began to take my left contact out and it's not there. It's not there at all. I didn't think it was there. I didn't know if it was there. I was too new wearing these contacts to really know if it was there or not. And so 
I, I, I hesitate to even mention this to you, but I, I probably dug around in my eye for an hour thinking because they had told me a week ago all manner of bad things that are going to happen to you if you sleep with the contact in your eye. And, and so I, I had to get the contact out. I didn't know if it was there or not. I know that probably sounds odd to you that I didn't know if the contact was in or not, but I didn't. And by the time I dug in my eye for an hour, it felt like something was in my eye, right? And, and so the, the more I searched, the more I uh, didn't know if it was there or not, the more I was afraid to go to sleep that night. I got my wife to look. I went look in my car. I looked in dirty clothes, basket. I looked on the floor, I looked on the sink, I looked everywhere, everywhere for this contact. Didn't find it. Got up the next morning, uh, called the doctor, went in, and he said, well, let's take a look. And uh, he looks in my eye, and he says, well, one thing for sure, it's not there. It's not there. He said, let me go get you another one. Did you happen to bring the right contact? I, I did. I produced a little case from my pocket. He said, good. Well, you put the right contact in. I'll go look for you uh, another, another contact, and we'll start all this over. So, y'all, I unscrew the lid, and I find not one but two <laughs> contacts in the right lens compartment. I can't tell you for sure. How that got both in there. Don't know. Don't know. But when the doctor came back in, I simply said, found it. He laughed. I feel, sort of feel like I need to find a new eye doctor now for embarrassment purposes, but I've stayed, stayed, stayed with I've thought a lot about that story. I've thought a lot about how in the world did I take it out and not know that I took it out and put it in that compartment, but I'll never discover the answer to that. But I've thought about something else. And I've thought about how often in life we search and we search and we search for something only to discover that maybe it is that we've been looking in the wrong place all that time. And could it be, dear friends, that we have been looking, that we've been searching, that we've been praying, that we've been struggling, that we've been hoping, use any word that you want to use, for spiritual awakening in our nation, in our community, in our church, and maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God would whisper to us this day and say, Maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Could it be? When you think about the history of Old Testament Israel, now hang with me for just a moment. When you think about the history of Old Testament Israel, it sort of looks like, it sort of feels like that since the establishment of Israel as the people of God, that they have been almost always in need of revival. Just quickly, let me kind of tell you why I'm thinking that. The people of God are led by Moses out of Egypt. What a glorious day. What a glorious time after, after years in bondage to Egypt, God raises up a leader. God hears their cry. God leads this 
magnificent people that had grown into sizable people and a sizable army. He leads them out into uh, uh, out of Egypt, and he is going to lead them into the promised land. But if you know the story of the Old Testament, they don't go immediately into the promised land. Instead, they wander around in a wilderness for 40 years. Now, make no mistake about it, the, 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 the wilderness is not a walk of 40 years. They just wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own disobedience to God. But in those early, early days, opening days of, of in, in the wilderness, God begins to reveal to Moses how the people are going to live and how they're going to survive. And, and the people of God say to their leader, Moses, Moses, we will do whatever it is you command us to do. Hmm. So Moses is called by God to go up to, on the mountain. And you know, then we re- revealed this in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, that that. There is the giving of the law. There is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And subsequently to that, there is the giving of further laws that would accompany those great big Ten Commandments. Before Moses got down from the mountain, what happened? People had given up on Moses. We don't know what's happened to this guy named Moses. He's abandoned us. Aaron, would you make for us an image of God that we could call on. You see what I'm saying? Before Moses even could get down and explain to them what God wanted them to do, they had already rebelled against God. And from that moment up until this moment, somewhere along history's way, the people of God, those who claim to live for God, those who claim to be God's, those who claim to serve God, have been in need of revival. Yes, there's been pockets of obedience, there's been pockets of revival, but by and large, most times we've been in need of awakening back to the will of God for our lives. And that brings us to Psalm 139 today. And I just wanted to just kind of go through these two verses today with you and ask God to speak to you and ask God to speak to me again on this, on this subject, a very personal subject. God, change me. I'm not trying to suggest that our world doesn't have some big problems. But for the moment, Lord, change me. That's the prayer of the psalmist. We get three words. I'm convinced that they're all relatively synonymous. Search, know, test. That's the prayer. Search me, God. Know me, God. Test me, God. Let's, let's think a moment about those, those words. Uh, 
and, and, and discover the common denominator. And let, let me just kind of tell you about the word search, and we'll talk about the others just, just a bit. I, when, when I think about the word search, <clears throat> I, I think about the first time that I ever went to Angola as a guest. All right, as a guest, just make sure we all understand that. <clears throat> I was, uh, I'd just become pastor of First Baptist Church in Lafayette and I sort of inherited a very tragic situation in which uh, one of our members, a college student, Chinese member, uh, murdered another Chinese student within our Bible study that we had a college student. So it's a horrific crime on every, every level. Haiming uh, gave his life to Christ in Lafayette Parish Jail through the witness of men in our church and Brother, Brother Perry Sanders, my predecessor. And when I came, he was on the verge of being sentenced to Angola. And uh, his parents are in China, has no friends. And so myself, along with another man, picked up the task of trying to minister to Haiming in Angola. So that's the short version of how I got to become a visitor very frequently at Angola. The first time we went, Ben and I, the other fellow, uh, we got to the visitation center. And I understand we're not part of a group. You know, we're, we're just regular folk going to, going to visit and, and going through the process. And so they, they search us, all right? And, and let me just tell you, they, they searched us. All right, we're going to visit a, a murderer. They searched us. And then they put us on a bus and drove us several miles and got us off the bus and searched us again. My buddy remarked to me, where do they think we got something? We've been in their custody since the last time they searched us. I just kind of poked him and said, be quiet and let them search us. They searched us again. They brought us inside the visitation center and they searched us again. And then, as a final step, they, they brought us to this little booth. Kind of visualize the old kind of style telephone booth. We don't even see those anymore, but about that size kind of telephone booth, except blackened in on every, on every side. And we, we walked into it, and, or one at a time we walked into it. And at the bottom of this little telephone booth kind of thing, there's a, there's a cutout with a, with a cloth kind of, kind of flap, all right? And I tell you what's on the other side of that flap was a drug-sniffing dog. Tell you I know that because my buddy who was with me got down on his hands and knees and stuck his head up underneath the curtain to see what was behind the little curtain. And as I've said every time I've told this story, by the way, if you ever go to Angola and you do that, that will get you searched again a fourth time. So we were well searched by the time we got to visit with our friend, now Haiming. And I tell you that story to tell you that's what I hear and see in this word, search. When we pray, Lord, search me, we are praying, God, you search me to the point of seeing what nobody else sees about me. What nobody else, we move to the second word, 
No. No. The word no in the Bible is a word of intimacy. It it is, again, that kind of word that suggests that there is knowledge that nobody else has. There is knowledge that is hidden from everyone else. You, You see that kind of idea in the third word, test. What's one of the ways that we, in our English usage, use the word test? You think about taking a test in school, that's one way to use it. Think about a test of stress, that's another way to use it. But there's another way that we use that word, it's when we go to the doctor, right? And you've got some symptoms, and you tell those symptoms to the doctor, and probably somewhere along the way, the doctor is going to say, well, what we need to do is run some tests. And what the doctor means by that is that he's probably going to draw some blood and do analysis of that blood. Perhaps he's going to do an x-ray or he's going to do a CAT scan or he's going to do an MRI or he's going to do an echocardiogram or any other kinds of tests that the doctor can perform. And what is that doctor doing? That, that doctor doesn't necessarily see anything on the outside, but that doctor needs to get in on the inside and see what not, might not be detected by the visible human eye. And so that's the common denominator of this prayer. When we're asking the Lord to search us, When we're asking the Lord to know us, when we're asking the Lord to test us, we're asking the Lord, God, reveal to me that which is not obvious to my family, that which is not even obvious to my closest friends and my church family. But God, I want to be so clean and so right with you that I'm asking you, oh God, to know me and reveal to me that kind of sin in my life in every kind of way. That's what we're asking. But here's the deal. And you know this already. I'm just, I'm just telling you and reminding you what you already know. God already knows. And so the second part of this prayer is the perfect judge. Search me, God. Search me, O God. I told you that we would journey back into this text a little bit. This is a fabulous, glorious text on who God is. We're not going to take the time to discover everything that's in this text, but let me just mention these these things as you just sort of scan it. In verse 1 and really about through verse 6, we see something about what theologians would call God's omniscience, that God has all knowledge. Lord, verse 1 says, you have searched me and known me. (laughs) So God's already done what we're asking him to do. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me, is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. God's omniscience. He is the perfect 
judge in that way. When we go about, and we shouldn't do this, we know we shouldn't do it, but when we go about judging somebody's character or judging their life or judging their sin, we don't have perfect knowledge, do we? And because we don't have perfect knowledge, we sometimes get our judgment all wrong. But God who has all knowledge, will never get it wrong. Never. As we move into verse 7 and go to verse 12, we, we discover the second grand theological concept in Psalm 139, and that's God's omnipresence. Look at verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? And he just continues on there for several verses, six verses, about God being everywhere. God's omnipresence. That's why we need to pray this prayer. No place. Have you, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how God's presence on one level is a very comforting thought? No place I can go, God, that you're not there. And then on, an, on another level, God's omnipresence is a very convicting thought. God, there's no place I can go that you're not there. No activity that I can be involved in that you're not all, also there. It's comforting and convicting all at the same time. That's why we just ought to stand in agreement with him and say, Lord, search me. Know me. Test me. And then when we move to verse 13, this is that glorious thought. For it was you who created my inward parts. You, you knit me together. So a lot of people think on these things as God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. And that is true. Your eyes saw me, verse 16, when I was formless. All my days were written in your book. Now, there's a new idea in verse 19 that may not be as talked about as commonly as those first three, but it's important to verse 23 and verse 24. And that is what I would identify theologically as God's omnipurity. God's omnipurity. God is all pure in all his ways. God, look at this, verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely. Look at verse 21. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with an extreme Hatred, I consider them my enemies. Now let me just pause there and say, if we can say that we hate somebody else's sin, shouldn't it be that we hate our own 
sin. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that we don't really hate our own sin like God hates it. We just hate the consequences of our sin. If we were to be honest with ourselves, it's just the consequences of sin that we hate. Revival comes when we hate our sin just because it's sin. Not thinking about the consequences. We hate it because it is offensive to holy, almighty, omnipure God. And I'm just trying to remind us this morning as we seek God in revival. that we need to pray. Lord, search me. Know me, test me. And we, as we pray need to be acknowledging that there is a perfect judge, God himself, who is conducting that search. Now here's the third thing. Go back to verse 23 and verse 24, and I I just want to hang out with you on this word here. It's in verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. There's the personal nature of this prayer. We've already kind of talked about how important this is to focus on ourselves, but do you see it in the prayer? How many times have you ever sat in a church service and you've had this thought? Lord, I wish so-and-so was here this morning to hear this message. Or maybe the person's here. And you think about them across the room or in back of the room or in front of the room and you say, I I hope they're getting this message. No, no. I think what God would have us hear and see and say today is, Lord, what about me? David, the psalmist, prayed, Lord, search me. Know my heart. And then there's that word, any, that becomes for us the penetrating nature of this request. Any, any, any. I'm afraid that too many times we say, Lord, I know this is wrong, but, and let me just tell you, whatever follows that is what you need to repent of. Any. Doesn't matter how small, doesn't matter how 
unknown it is to others? Does it matter if you've convinced yourself that it's not really hurting anybody except for you? Any, any, any. My, my message isn't quite done. I've got one other item that I want to explore with you. So this might sound odd, but I, wanna, I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Just kind of begin to invite the Lord to speak to us in this way. And I want to ask you a series of questions here as we think about any. Is there anything in your life right now that you're trying to hide from God? That's question number one. Is there anything right now that you're trying to hide from God? That sounds even like a silly question. You can't hide anything from God. Another way to ask that question is, are you, are you trying to hide something from somebody? Are you? That would be something that the Lord would want you to deal with. Second question, have you rationalized any sin? Is there any been, been anything in your life that you said, God, I know this is wrong, but, but, we're good at that. Third question, is there any hint of pride in my life? Any hint of pride? I, I have a conviction that at the heart of all sin is pride. Number four, you ready for this? Is there any person I'm unwilling to forgive? You want there to be revival in your church? You got to be willing to forgive. How about this question? Is there a sin that just keeps repeating in my life? I ask God to forgive me. But then I repeat it. Is there a sin that just keeps repeating in my life? Here's one more question. Has God revealed something to me already in the past that I've been unwilling to obey him in? You know, God has already spoken, and you've been unwilling. That's the any. Looks like a small three-letter word, but that's that's the any. Psalm 19, Psalm 19 tells us that some sins are unintentional, but some sins are willful. And dear brothers and sisters, I think the large part of our problem is dealing with those sins that are rather willful in our lives. Now look this way just a moment and then we're going to begin to close. Look this way. I want to give you the promise. 
I want to give you what God promises us if we will do this. You see it? It's the last phrase. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do in your life. It's what God wants to do in your family's life. It's what God wants to do in this church to lead you in the everlasting way. What is that? Well, I think it's, first of all, kind of what we assume it is. Eternal life. Heaven. But I think it's more than that. I think it's God's kingdom here on earth. It's God's will here on earth. How did he teach us to pray? Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his everlasting way. Now listen, all of this screams out the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible reveals this. Now if any man, if any woman is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things are made new. Change me. Change me. I'm confident you've heard this before. But I think, I think we all need to hear it again. And that's this old line. That if you really want revival. You pray. God. I'm going to draw a circle. Around me. And pray. Lord. Let that revival. Begin in this circle. In this circle. Would you bow your heads again? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Pastor's going to come. He's going to stand at the front. This is what I intended to do today. I intended to ask you some hard questions because I want you to have a glorious week come next Sunday in the following three days with Brother Sam and Brother Robbie. But I'm overwhelmingly convinced that there's a difference in having a good meeting with good preaching and having revival. And I want you to have revival. Lord Jesus, help us in these moments. I, I want to pray that the psalmist prayed. Search me, Lord. Know me. Test me. See if there be any offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. As all of us do that, Lord, bring revival. In Jesus' name. preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, 
go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.